to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace. Because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we are proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. Good job, Sarah. Thanks, Market of Choice, for sponsoring our show. Yeah, thanks, Market of Choice. <laughs> They're so great. Good morning, yeah. everybody, and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear mm-hmm. the stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah, I almost got to see you this week in real life person. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just missed you. Um, we had to get to the post office before they closed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I um, dropped off some samples for our guests to Sarah. So we almost saw each other, but it ended up just being another porch drop for me. <laughs> my, well, my husband said... That he took you in the backyard and you said that you really liked our backyard. So that I did. I told him I was going to hire him to come and take care of mine. (laughs) Well, he he actually could design it for you and help you figure out what to do. I know. He's so good. It's beautiful back there. I told him it looks like a fancy hotel garden. (laughs) He said that to me. He's like, Sarah said our backyard looks like a fancy hotel garden. (laughs) It does. You have like water features back there and statues. It's beautiful. Uh, I was going to tell you, I um, started doing a brand camp this week with one of our future guests that we're going to have on the show. We're going to have Allie Ball. She does um, some like getting retail ready to market stuff for people who are food entrepreneurs. So I wanted to tell our, our listeners about it because she sometimes hosts these like free workshops and things. So I did her brand camp so we could talk about it on the show. So I've been doing that this week. So you just tune in every day for 10 minutes and she does a little recorded thing and then it gives you all these tasks to do for your business, which is pretty cool. So I wanted to mention that to our guests so that when she's on the show, I think she's on in like three weeks or maybe next month. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can find her online. Um, her name is Allie Ball. She does Allie Ball Marketing. Um, she's on, you can find her on our Instagram. But if anybody was interested in doing that, then when we have her on the show, if you have questions, we can ask her. So what Actually, I did. Since you brought that up, I met, we met this week with a lady who has a company called Engine. 
Her name is Kelly Doring, and they do the same kind of stuff, branding, and they want to um, make precious moments of being of bringing things alive. So she was cool, too. Maybe we'll yeah. have, to have her on the show. I think it's really nice when people can offer those kinds mm-hmm. of services, especially to small um, startup companies, just because it gives you somebody to like check in with. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. We um, want to thank everybody for joining us live today. We're still honoring our social distancing, so we're having guests call in to the show. But if you want to be a guest on the show, you can submit those to us at startupradionetwork.com. And uh, I do have some food news today. I wanted to let everybody know about some of our past guests that are returning to the farmer's markets. So um, this week, starting tomorrow at the Beaverton Farmer's Market, you can find Elsie from Creole Me Up and Yvonne from Momococo and Val from Firebrew and you can find Hostas there. So those guys will all be at the Beaverton Farmers Market tomorrow. And then at Portland State University, you can find Connie from Blossom Vinegars and Amy from All Milks. So you can go out and support those female makers from our shows and you can listen to past shows of all of those makers um, on iTunes. So go out and support your local lady makers. So I got a question for you, Sarah. Yeah. You sent me a picture of a vending machine. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Are you going to do it? I don't know. I was thinking I thought it would be cool. You know, um, my friend over at Picks, they have a vending machine where you can get some of their desserts and stuff. And I yeah. thought, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool if we had a vending machine with all of our guests where people could, because, you know, you know, we try to send people to everybody directly and they can order stuff or they can go to a store. But since some people are kind of trying to avoid stores, I was thinking, what if we had a vending machine with all the Missoni and Marshall guests where people could just come and do it? So I don't know. It's just, you know, I get these ideas sometimes. <laughs> I kind of like the idea. And then I was like imagining us driving around in a little truck trying to fill the machines up. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I know. Maybe I that's mean, what Alon can do. He can be our vendor. I know we can hire him. I was thinking if we just had one machine like at the Food Innovation Center with, with people's products, that that would be cool. Well, cool. Well, Sarah, we'll keep everybody posted on if we have a Masonian Marshall vending machine. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a grand opening. <laughs> yeah, we'll let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Well, we are um, joined today by a special guest. I want to introduce Paula Phillips from Wonder Drink Kombucha, based here in Portland, Oregon. And Paula is the president of Wonder Drink Company. Welcome, Paula. Hi. Sarah and Sarah, thank you. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And we want our um, listeners to be able to follow along and find you online. So what's your social media handles? Uh, It's Wonder Drink Kombucha. And uh, if you go to wonderdrink.com, you'll be able to find us as well. We wanted to um, start out, uh, because not everybody knows what kombucha is. So I just want to um, define some of the lingo with you. Uh, So can you just tell us first off what kombucha is? Um, By definition, it's really just a fermented tea. 
um, I think that history goes back to maybe over 200 years BC uh, when in Qing Dynasty that that uh, people started using uh, fermented tea. Uh, at that time, they already realized uh, the benefit of fermented food and beverages. So, um, yeah, it's just fermented tea. Uh, I think in, in modern days, we have different translations for the, tr- the, the kombucha. But yeah, that's the simplest way to define it. And um, your, your kombuchas are prebiotic. Can you talk about what that is? Yeah, prebiotic kombucha. Mm, okay, so being fermented, a lot of people in the food industry think that if something is fermented, that means it has probiotic in there. Uh, our our staff is much more scientific, and we wanted to because probiotics not a defined term, just from fermentation by the FDA. So we we did some research. We have a PhD on staff um, who who has a specialization in kombucha. We we wanted to be different from what the marketplace is offering. So we added prebiotic, which is a fiber. It's a vegan-based fiber, oligosaccharides, that will complement the probiotic that's already in our body, uh, in our own like ecosystem that, that we have. So it feeds to the good bacteria in our body and also complements with any other probiotic supplements and beverages and food out there in the marketplace. So that's our positioning. Um, what is the prebiotics? Back to your original question. It's food for our gut. It's food for uh, probiotic. Perfect. And then what about um, the mother? Because when people talk about kombucha, they talk about the mother. Yeah, it's like a SCOBY, right? It stands for, hmm, what does it stand for? It, it's it's this uh, a, a co- colony of uh, bacteria and culture, SCOBY. So it, it usually looks like um, if you use a, a round jar, the, the mother will grow into like a round plate, that floats on top of the the scoby uh, on the on the jar. So, so that's the mother. <laughs> I think <laughs> some company. people some people want to eat that stuff. I've seen like jerky made out of it and snacks right. made out of the scoby snack. Right, and some people use that to make leather or different applications. And we traditionally we have been throwing it away um, in the past, but. But yeah, there. If if you believe in if if it's yeah, if the byproducts of the fermented products is good, I think the mother should be good, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Next, next time I'll try to eat it. So kombucha <laughs> wonder drink was founded in 1999 by Steve Lee. He's a famous right. tea guy here in the Portland area. Can you just tell us a few bits of information about Steve? I know he's retired now. Yes, Steve is. He's, he's such a yeah, as you said, he's like a tea pioneer. He's an um, icon. In, yeah, in the in Oregon, and and I think most people in Oregon would know in the food industry would know of him. Um, he's very kind, gentle. He's he actually also he 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 and I have a lot in common. We we both believe in sort of so semi Buddhist approach or Zen approach to life and just being mindful and being gentle and sharing the goodness, sharing the wonder. And that's so, so 
what should I say about Steve? He's kind, he's gentle, and he's very much of a romantic um, in a way that he, he believes in. Like, if you just do one little thing at a time, eventually it will work out. Um, and then, then that's how he started all the brands. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What are the other brands? I know he's, didn't he start Stash? He Stash did. Tea? Yes, he and some of his uh, partners, they started Stash Tea. And uh, also they started Tazo that yeah. they sold to Starbucks later on. And after the Tazo uh, purchased by Starbucks, he was on a trip with to to Russia, and then he discovered kombucha. So, so that's how we 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 came to this kombucha industry. Yeah. And one last piece, he has a tea book. So, if somebody wants to really dig into st- info about how Steve did all his tea business, you can look at his book. Right, it's actually kombucha revolution. It's more about kombucha than okay. uh, rev- yeah, yeah, than tea. But I, I, I would. Oh, are you, are you only having female guests on the show? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I can have. I can We've had a yeah, couple of guys, but uh-huh. we mostly yeah for a whole year. I think we've had three. We had three gentlemen on the show. I think we've had all women. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Steve is retired, as you said. He he still lives in Oregon, and uh, yeah, we do walks every now and then. We'll probably do the walks. If you want to join us uh, in in our backyard next time when we do a walk here, that'll be lovely. <laughs> and um, you have your kombucha is organic, and you don't often see uh like certified organic kombucha is it the only one or one of the first no actually there are many kombucha brands that are certified organic because many of the kombucha makers they believe in um being natural being organic and we are what we eat we are what we drink so so it is a big deal in the kombucha industry i would say maybe the more established brands they would be able to have the scale and to have the products certified because with any certification it 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 comes with an added cost so for smaller uh startup brands it, it will be it will be more cost prohibitive yeah, yeah i think maybe consuming. that's why mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. see it very often because i i see people at the farmer's market that are probably mm-hmm. making it on a small scale so it must, maybe it's right. too expensive for them to do it but that's exactly. cool that you have that. And um, mm-hmm. Paula dropped off some samples for us, which is really cool. So since uh, since we've been, we used to have guests bring samples into the studio and we could taste everything. But since we've been doing it from our homes, we haven't been able to do that. So Paula was kind enough to drop some um, samples off to me here. And then I drove over to Sarah's and brought her some. So it was kind of like a little chain of samples. But um you brought us, so you have a couple different lines, right, Paula? Right. Uh, it, well, in the beginning, we have done more um, just traditional kombucha. And uh, in the last three years, we started uh, doing more scientific research. And that's where, when we started adding prebiotic um, to our kombucha line. And that's our main focus moving forward. 
as a brand. And even what the samples I dropped off, the prebiotic kombucha, we have two different lines. One is sort of the the, the red cans. Um, I'm holding it up. The two of you can see it. Yeah. Uh, it's more culinary driven. Uh, we have three different flavors, ginger peach, tropical mango, and apple mint. They are all inspired by famous chefs in the Portland, Oregon area. And, uh, and so, so that's our first generation. With this line, you still you taste the prebiotic kombucha as well as the tea in there. Um, in our next generation prebiotic kombucha, we are more functional driven. So uh, I think we take away the focus on tea flavor. Um, the the brew tea is is less focused. Instead, we add more functional ingredients to to enhance um, what common busy people are looking for to to meet that demand like hydration like focus and uh, radiance well i have um the prickly pear Mm -hmm. here and i wanted to have you just talk because some people you know some people might not know what prickly pear is so will you just tell us what it is well, it's like very simply, it's just a berry from a cactus uh, plant. So it's becoming more and more popular. I think prickly pear is just a different name. It's a fancy name, like like a kombucha is a fancy name for fermented tea. A yeah. prickly pear is a fancy name for uh, cactus berry. So, but but it it helps with the focus. Um, um, just. Some people tried it and they really felt like they had a immediate pick me up. In addition to the kombucha pick me up, they their brain it's it's not a caffeine uh, driven focus enhancement, but it's a more natural fruit. I just tried the turmeric ginger, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to be radiant all day. Yes, you will. <laughs> you already radiant. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Even more so, I I drink that. I try to drink that every day. But but, but yeah. well, this is cool because you guys put buckthorn extract in there, which will mm-hmm. be instead of some of something else um, mm-hmm. to acidify it. And there's licorice root and turmeric and mm-hmm. biotin, which is um, a vitamin and it's good for your hair actually. So I definitely right. need this. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You're going to have radiant hair forever now. That's mm-hmm. what I'm after. <laughs> so, yeah, Paula, I, I can supply more samples. <laughs> no hey, problem. Paula, you're, you're originally from Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm, right. It's, and it's so a you, tea culture, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you grew up with drinking tons of tea, I'm sure. But you went to the university there, and then you came over to the U.S., and you mm-hmm. went to get your MBA at the University of Chicago? Right, I did. So it's just a long journey. I guess I'm a, a wanderer at heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just every place I've been to, I think I just enjoy meeting the people there, meeting the culture, and uh, it's just the energy and the passion that different environments. Uh, or before the show, you were talking about restaurants and going to different places and how things are so different. I think people make a place. So, so I think which with each stops I've made, I, I, yeah, I, as you said, Taiwan, 
Chicago, and I actually lived in L.A. for 10 years when I was doing mergers, acquisitions, and banking, and then finally moved to Portland, which is a foodie town. Uh, just different different places have different culture and people that make that place so unique and so lo- so just loving. Was, was it hard mm-hmm. to transition from working in finance to being involved in a food beverage company? Um, yes and no. I think because I have really good technical training uh, mm-hmm. in finance, in the numbers, that's really my, my strength. And, uh, I, I feel like uh, I'm fairly confident that I can, like, I can speak any business language because of my, my foundation in accounting and finance, my training at University of Chicago. But the, what's hard is, um, not knowing people and who to ask questions when you go into a new industry although so so the the easy part is i already know how to look at a business um, manage a business from 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 within from inside but what is important is the to connect with the outside right so so that part was hard but what makes it easy is in portland in oregon people are so friendly and uh, they don't most people don't have this like, oh, you're my competitor. I'm against you. We're against each other. Hush, hush, I can't tell you anything. I think it's in, in Oregon, the culture is such that people are so open and uh, we try to build on each other. We all know that different brands, different products bring a different element to to this great society we're trying to build together. So so that's, that's in a way easy, but it's also hard that not before you know how to ask your question, then you don't know that you're not alone. Does, does that answer your question? It's easy yes. and hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think you've done a great job of assimilating into the food industry. And I remember Thank when you. I first met you, you mm-hmm. were asking me so many questions and I was like, well, I can't ever shout out. I was like, okay, I'll just try and answer the best I can. Um, But tell us, so you were a member of a temple here in Portland, Mm -hmm. and I actually had the honor of being there when it was uh, opened. Yeah, totally. We had our grand opening. Is it 2015? Yeah, it's it's a big milestone. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I practiced. Um, I actually was a. I was baptized Christian, and uh, I, I came to learn more about Buddhism. And I think, like our master, our guru, he promotes all religions, the all the kindness religions. Uh, I, I I I feel like religions are should not be. Um, it's 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 just like. All the, I wasn't prepared to talk about religion, but religion yeah. are. Well, it's really religion, interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's good. It, it gives you this grounded space that you find inner peace, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we all need rituals. We all need some sort of, um, why do we go to, why do we have a home? Why do we have certain habits? Why do we get together with friends? It's all about these rituals of coming together, I think, in, yes. in my belief. And something to ground you, to ha- settle all the dust, to settle all the, the thoughts in your brain. Um, I think religions are that, in addition to the, the teaching element of the basic ethics 
so I really enjoy uh, learning just all the so far Christian Christianity and the Buddhism. I enjoy learning more about both, and I still continue to learn. That's great. We um, are going to take a quick break. And we'll come back and talk about distribution and some of the mechanics of running a kombucha business. Sounds great. Thanks. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. So can I ask a quick question? Um, of course. You, your group uh, with Pierre Steeps has typically gone to the show, the food shows, right? So you, I right. bet you were, I can't remember if we ran into each other at the fancy food show this past January, but... I know you were probably planning to be at Expo West. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you sure. just give us a quick like review of what happened for your company with Expo West? I think it was really devastating for many and frustrating for others. Right. Um, I know. It was, I, I remember uh, we were waiting by our uh by our, our computer and uh, trying to see if there is any announcement that Expo West will cancel before the show. Uh, we waited for three days, no no cancellation. Uh, some people already started traveling out to Expo West. We, we finally decided as a company, before Expo West officially canceled the show, we decided that we're not going to participate we are not going to do the show because of the risks that it will impose on our employees and uh, just even customers that we come in contact with. Because as a company, protecting the safety of our employees is our number one priority. We're all communities. So uh, employees are our most immediate community. So um, we we canceled before Expo West canceled. It's, there are a lot of expenses that... Um, were involved and uh, we continue to absorb that. Um, in hindsight, you know, we it's, it's almost like we just we don't even think about it that much anymore, except for when we look at the financials. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, so you, so it, you, it is quite nerve wracking at the time. Did you do you think that the company culture has changed because of that experience? Are you all feeling like maybe you don't? want to go to food shows or are you ready to go as soon as there is one or what, what kind of resulted from that experience? I think we are all dealing in the new, um, sort of a new territory, treading the new water. Um, our, I believe just like when we go to grocery stores or anywhere we go, we will be wearing a mask, um, it's tough to say. I think as a company, we probably will still participate in one of the one or two of the major shows. And uh, but with the, our distributors, we are seeing more and more of the online Zoom virtual trade shows. Uh, it will be similar to how when I drop off the samples to you, um, you, you will taste at, at your own in your own office and uh, we can have a online 
Zoom meeting to talk about the taste and get the feedback. Uh, I, I, I think it's hard to say at this time. Um, we will probably do one major show, um, but 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 I think more and more people will get more used to the idea that hey, you don't need to really meet in person, especially. Uh, in the last few years, Expo West attended, attendees have gone up to 80,000 to over 100,000 attendees. It's difficult to have meaningful uh, conversations or uh, customer interactions at a, such a busy show. It's overwhelming for the, the, the brand owners. It's overwhelming for people who are walking the show, who are trying to yeah. try out samples. You have to be really, really strategic in order to get a, a really good trip out of it. So, so yeah, I think it's a balance. I think uh, COVID-19 is pulling us all back to sort of a balance. Too much and too little. Uh, we have to find the balance in somewhere in between. Yeah, I felt like all I was doing was rushing around from one show to another. And, you know, it was like, what am I doing? I didn't really even miss it when it didn't happen yeah. this spring. So. I know. Yeah, right. But but for us, it was, we all geared up. We were so, we, are, we had our brokers all ready to meet us there. We are, have our training, our new products launch and our customer appointments. It's, it's, it's just a lot of work leading up to that point. And all of a sudden it, it's a kind of, I don't want to say it's a, a balloon being deflated, but it, it, it was, the balloon was let out in a different way. Yeah. Paula, you um, just mentioned something that I don't think that we've had anybody talk about before, but you mentioned having brokers um, and, mm-hmm. and doing these shows. And I don't think we've had any guests that have used brokers before. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what that's like for you and what it does for the business? Um, yes, because we're not a super large company. So our salespeople have, lim- we have limited resources, human resources to manage all the the territories we distributed in the entire United States and the most of Canada and uh, many international countries. So we have to be really strategic. Having brokers, they have they they, they are able to present other brands and our brand. Um, so so it helps us. Um, how it helps us is that they are much more well trained in the industry. They know about. They have relationship into the buyers we don't necessarily have at the current time. So it gets us the meetings. But in order to really convey the passion and the knowledge, the product to the, the, our, our, the buyers that we want to sell into, uh, I think we will then accompany the broker to, to, to make a joint call to to present our products so so i think it helps in that it it keeps us very organized in that we know what the yearly outlook looks like what meetings are scheduled and it does get us the meetings that we want to get into and uh so it's definitely helpful very helpful Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just wanted to kind of finish that thought to, to be helpful to, to other brands. Um, for, for other smaller companies, I think it's more important to be strategic or, or tactic, to have good tactics about what you want to achieve because you cannot go from 
um, very small or start start starting up to to very big, that will just dilute your focus. A focus diluted focus is no good for anyone. You cannot meet your customers' uh, demands. You cannot meet your own production demands. You you cannot even manage um, what you want to produce or just the resources. It's just very limited. So so I would think that um, it, it's it's a it's a judgment call. Each individual company is very different, and some companies are comfortable just being regional, and and that you may not need a broker for that. Yeah, I think I think it goes both ways. Sometimes for um, smaller companies, it's nice to use a broker because maybe you're not going to hire employees because it's kind of like having right, that's a, a sales yeah. rep or a person that is out there doing work for you, but you don't have to manage them because they're their own entity. So sometimes it's it's nice for smaller companies to do that. But then you have to be ready to handle the the workload that they're bringing in for you, which is also sometimes a little challenging if you're very small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes they'll go out and sell more stuff than you have. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yes, that's why you that's need a- to go on those calls with them. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to um, just talk about distribution a little bit because we like to tell people where they find your product in the store. So mm-hmm. if they were going to go into a grocery store, you do have two different product lines, one's in glass and one's in cans, but what mm-hmm. section of the store would they go to to find Wonder Drink? Uh, usually in the refrigerator section and uh, some of our older um, distribution, our kombucha traditionally have been shelf stable. So you'd be able to find them on the dry shelf or the refrigerated uh, kombucha section. Okay. And then so for d- distributing a refrigerated product, do you have someone do that for you or do you um, have trucks? How do you go about getting it to the stores? Well, yes, we have the the trucks, so we will use the refer trucks and deliver to the customers. Some customers do pick up from our warehouse. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Is it challenging to distribute a refrigerated product? Uh, It is. In the beginning, uh, we started out uh, our distributing shelf-stable kombucha, so so it it is a learning process for us, but we we have managed to to overcome that obstacle. Um, It is, it's just different, right? With any, um, it's kind of like earlier we talked about going back, going into a new industry. So refrigerated section, I, I think you just need to be able to sell into that with the buyers. So once you get into the buyers um, network, the the refrigerated buyers, and then the distribution actually is it's a natural uh, natural method to to just fill that demand from the customer. It's really not that uh, difficult per se. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's about refrigeration. I mean, there's one thing that you don't necessarily control in the past. We have seen trucks that will show up that uh, that are not refrigerated trucks and our warehouse will have to refuse for them to load the products. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We, I just, I've never, um, you know, our stuff is shelf stable. So I always think about, um, you know, when people, cause we have a lot of listeners that are thinking about starting a business. So I just like right. them to keep those things in mind that if you're, if you're transporting or creating a product that needs to be refrigerated, that there's things mm-hmm. to think about. And, and sometimes right. people either go with having their own 
you know, truck line and transportation or they hire somebody to do it. So it sounds like you guys have your own trucks and do it that way. Well, in the beginning, you, you, it's best to just hire uh, trucking companies that do the, uh, the less than one container load type of yeah. 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 I like to have a relationship with the local just um, trucking company so I can just go online and arrange freight and they can just go and pick up the stuff at the warehouse and drop it off wherever it needs to go. Right. It's all about relationships, right? We do business yeah. with people we, we find, we find the connections and we find trust with. Right. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, like the DIY part of kombucha making because I will say that um, I've had some experiments gone wrong with, with making kombucha and sometimes it's um, you accidentally make more of like an alcohol like a weird you know I always call it garage hooch but like some kind of it accidentally goes too long and you on your cans you say that um you know it's non-alcoholic so do you guys stop it at a certain point like what do you do to make sure that that's what you're giving your customers yeah exactly we stopped the fermentation so uh, at one point of production and uh, so each batch of our brew and our fermentation is standardized. So we take away the guesswork and uh, the time uh, out of that DIY experiment that people uh, will do, will need to, to go through. So it's ready to drink. We, we package the time you would like on average, if you have a good batch, maybe you, it takes seven to 14 days to do your own DIY kombucha. So, so we take that into our factory and, uh, and we stop the fermentation. So each batch is the same and it's guaranteed non-alcoholic. So that people who have no risk tolerance for alcohol can safely enjoy our beverages. There was a big problem in kombucha. I don't know how many years ago where they figured out, oh, these have alcohol in them. Yeah, and I, I mean, even when kombucha first came out, I would buy it and drink it, and I'd be like, "Oh man, I feel really good." You feel happy, right? <laughs> and then I figured out it was probably the alcohol. I yeah. think that's really nice for people to be able to know that they can go to your product and that they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that. Because I think, yeah, that, you know, there's a lot of there's a, a lot of people that you know, are, if they're, you know, living a lifestyle without alcohol or if it affects Mm -hmm. them in a negative way, they want to know that they can go to it and have it. Because I think that, um, that's what I've heard from people that try to do things at home on their own is that there's no, there's no way to really tell. And so this is nice to be able to just like go and have this product and know that you're, you're making the choices that you want to make with your life. Yeah. The other thing that you guys have done is you've maintained the sugar content pretty low for a serving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also I see that you started using some alternative sweeteners like stevia. And agave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very thoughtful. So that's right. And then we were talking about alcohol. Alcohol is a huge issue in, in kombucha. And um, there's so many different kombucha brands out there, and uh, the industry is big enough now that it it, it I think it welcomes and allows for different 
different market position uh, brands to be in this space. Some some brands they are now openly labeling their products as alcoholic kombucha, and uh, some people feel like well, even though the FDA standardized uh, standard definition of non-alcoholic is less than 0.5%. They want to advocate for that number to be higher to be 1.5% or or some companies even produce a higher level. So so that's a totally different marketplace. It, it will be more like a gluten-free beer, a tea beer, if, if you will. So, but, but it's still, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful tasting product. Um, but just for different people at different times of consumption. Isn't there a big um, kombucha festival that happens with a lot of the makers? Yes. Um, well, there are two things. I think in Oregon, usually it's in the summer, right? Uh, and then yeah. there's one in Canada. Were you talking about the, the industry <sighs> event? I think that yeah. happens in, in February, but that's a trade-only event. I, I just I don't know much about it. I just remember hearing something about it, and I thought it sounded cool to have um, like the kombucha makers come together. It might be the one right. in Canada. I'm not really sure. I didn't right. think it was I think like it's a the sale one in Canada thing. in the summer. Yeah, I, it, I was mistaken to think it's in Portland, but it's not. Uh, but, but Portland is a huge place for kombucha makers. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's cool that people can join together that all do a similar thing and. Right, because we Talk. all build build on each other, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Nice, Paula. Do you have any advice for um, new businesses entering the marketplace? Ah, uh, new businesses. I think really just follow follow your passion. That sounds so like whatever, right? Um, oh, I think really it's about just really follow your heart. Um, and doing things diligently over and over and over again. Um, I've heard a saying, people saying, if you do things repeatedly every day, you become an expert, right? Even from not knowing anything, you become an expert at something. If you do things consistently over time, you will succeed. You will find that customer. If you have the genuine passion, genuine interest in serving your customers' needs, you will succeed. It's about doing it consistently and wholeheartedly. And I I know it sounds so philosophical, and um, but it's also that's on on the the romance side. I think um, from a business side, you need to know your numbers. Um, you need to know your cash cycle. Uh, there are so many things that you need to focus on. Always uh, every. You look at if you take, just take a look at your 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 product, every single thing that goes into it costs pennies, and every penny gets multiplied by four times onto the shelf. So if it costs you ten cents more in cost, it's going to cost forty cents more on the shelf because everyone in the distribution chain and the stores they all need to make a margin to pay their employees. This this is what makes the, the marketplace even more meaningful together. We're all in this together. We're feeding all the employees, all the families. We're providing our expertise to 
to to serve that needs that's needed instead of uh, living on a farm by yourself and uh, self production self fulfilling. So so anyway, just knowing your numbers and、uh, follow your heart. I think that's my advice. I think、um, I like that you ha- you talk about the two sides of having like a romantic side of business and a business side of business, and it sounds、yeah. like you you walk a pretty even path, which is really nice. And I don't I don't think that's always common. It's like one person is usually very much on one side and and very、yeah. much on the other side. <laughs> right, totally. Thank you.、Yeah. I always I always have to bring myself back to the reality. Um, yeah, but I'm a realistic person. I I know how things happen, and、uh, and I know how yeah how we need to、uh, work hard to to make things happen for others and for ourselves.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good advice. We、um, like to be able to send our listeners somewhere to get your product. So、okay. where could they find Wonder Drink? Is it best to order it online or in a store, or what's the best way、yeah. to get it? Definitely,、uh, with the COVID nineteen, I think the best way now is to go online. Amazon has our products, and、uh, you can go to market cho- market of choice. And in Portland,、um, I have to say I haven't managed this pro- this market for a while. I I think market of choice and Amazon is my first go to places. Perfect. Well, we will、um, send people that way. Is there、mm-hmm. any、um, final thoughts that you have to share with our listeners?、Uh, I think your listeners are mostly interesting startups or making their own products. Is, is,、yeah. is that fair to say that? Yeah. yeah. Okay.、Uh, again, I just think that networking is so important.、Uh, just knowing that in Oregon, in Portland, we everyone is so. Open and、uh, trying to help each other build、uh, their own products, and、um, I just think trying to have a good network of support and don't be afraid to ask for help.、Yeah. Uh, trying to have meaningful engagements with everyone you come in contact with, I think that's that's yeah, that's that's my takeaway. Yeah, I just want to do a shout out. To somebody from the past in Kabucha, her name is Stacia, and she now lives in New Zealand. And she and I worked together probably 15 years ago on some of the original、uh, Wonder Drink flavors. So、mm-hmm. just in case she listens, hey Stacia, hey Stacia, we're in New Zealand too.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well,、oh. <laughs> Sarah's raising you guys. You listeners can't see, but Sarah's raising the roof. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Paula, thanks for joining us today. It was yeah, great to hear about Wonder Drink, and nice to see you on、um, the screen today. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you, Sarah and Sarah. It's an honor, and、uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having our products. Thank you. Market of Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store. 
with 10 stores in Oregon, it's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than over 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoying shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, please visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local so you can too. We record Missoni and Marshall live every Friday at 9 a.m. You can listen at startupradionetwork.com or you can listen to past episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be on the show, you can go to startupradionetwork.com and send us any information you want us to share in our food news. We will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.